Welcome to Calvary Servitude Community Church Podcast, where we walk by faith and not by sight. In this podcast, you will be empowered with the undiluted Word of God, be strengthened in wisdom and knowledge, and also grow in your walk with the Lord. And remember, there's always hope for you. Be blessed. Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, we come before you, Lord. We humble ourselves and we thank you, Father God, for the opportunity to partner in the kingdom of God, with the kingdom of God, to be servants and stewards in our generation. Lord, we count ourselves blessed. We know that it is a privilege to be used by God. And teach us, Father God, that Dipilotzarona may remain in that place, not that we use God, but that we are those who are used by him for his plans, for his purposes, and for his kingdom. We surrender this entire workshop unto you. Lord. We surrender this entire process unto you. We know that we are planting seeds, Father God, that we will only see the fruit in eternity. But in your faithfulness, you have allowed this to take place. And in our response to your faithfulness, we say yes, Lord, to all that you are doing and have your way. Holy Spirit, we invite you to be the teacher that teaches us, reveal the heart of the Father when it comes to issues of leadership. Plant us, root us, anchor us in the right things that we may be the leaders that represent Christ. And when we've done well, all people see is the Jesus that was meant to be lifted up and nothing else. In Jesus' name we pray and believe. Amen. Amen. So um, we had this meeting before COVID a year before, and it was a meeting where we had leaders and we were having a leadership meeting, but I think you would remember Murudu also happened to be there on the second day. And it was a very emotional time for me. And I think as Baba was speaking there, I needed to compose myself a little bit because of seeing where the Lord took us from where he took us as a church to where we are now. In that leadership meeting, as we were sitting there, you know, I was five months pregnant with my daughter and I sat back and I watched. And I remember quietly praying and saying, God, if you have called me for this church, you will raise men for this vision. Because as we stand here, the cracks that are here, we will not stand very long. And I remember crying and everybody thought it's hormones and it was a good excuse and so forth. But I want to say to you, I want to say to you that, you know, and Perhaps, you know, there's always an assumption that when it comes to me, it is that because Baba is my natural, my biological father, even serving him in ministry becomes a lot easy because of that. And as true as it may be, maybe it is. Who knows? But what I would like to say to you is that God has planted a seed for this church so deeply in me that it, I don't believe, and maybe we'll never know, I don't believe that even if it was not him who was the father of this house, I will equally serve the men that God raises for the vision in the same way. And it's because of the revelation that I carry in my spirit for the vision. And 
I want you to think deeply about why you are here and the purpose at which you are here. Because even your leadership or your service and your loyalty is going to be tested. And you know, um, the gift that a leader, a spiritual leader can have, the best gift that he can have is loyalty. And you know what loyalty is? Is to stand next to the man even if when it's not popular to stand. But to say that the Lord has said this is who he is. And the beauty and the burden of him being my biological father and my spiritual father is that maybe the vision is intertwined deeply, but at the same time, you find people who are there who think they can speak to you against the vision to divide the vision. And I have had people who've approached me. Gadli, Baba is very sentimental. You know, this is what the type of leadership that is needed in the church. Please speak to him. He listens to you. You do that. And what I'm saying to you is that as leaders or potential leaders or those whom God has called for the church, your leadership is not visibility. Your leadership is guardianship of the vision. There are people who you do not see who are leading this church from places that you are not aware of. And all they're doing is guarding that the vision of the church stands. So when we are here and we say that we want to be taught how to be leaders, we want to stand in places of leadership, we're not talking about visibility. The highest place of authority is actually not to have a face. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit is that he doesn't have a face. We feel his move, we feel his effect. But because of how this realm, let me put it that way, we need somebody that is the face of the vision, who carries the vision, who we can say, there, we look up to that man for that direction. If we want to know where to go, we look up to him. Because of this realm. But in the Godhead, have you ever seen God fighting to be known that he's the father of Jesus? Have you ever seen the Holy Spirit fighting to be known that this is the face that actually is the power behind Jesus? No. So leadership. Number, I think the first comments that I want to start with, and these are not necessarily Bible quotes, but based on experience. And maybe having been a child in the church, growing into a place of servanthood, then rising as a leader as God has allowed the seasons. The first thing, is that your loyalty is first to God. Number two, your loyalty will depend on the revelation of the leader that sits upon you that you have. If you have no revelation of who Papa is in the spirit, there are certain things that you are able to say for him or against him. Whether you are with him or not. If you have no revelation of whom Ruti Kape is in the spirit, there are certain things that you will say for him or against him. And leaders are not people who are without flaws. They are people who in the church have left because they've had a problem with the leadership. They've had a problem with the way Baba has led. They've had a problem with the way Ruti Kape leads. They had a problem with some of the things that the way we do things and they've left. And I remember uh, sharing a story. I think I shared it with you, Tariso. I said, you know, the beauty of time is that it will only prove you. It will only prove you. 
there are certain things that because people might have had a problem with it. You know when the Bible says, touch not the anointed of the Lord, it's a very serious thing, David had a revelation that no matter how wrong Saul was, but it was not him that put him in that position. Therefore, he should not touch him. So when it comes to leadership, your attitude first to those that lead you is the one that tells you how far you will go as a leader. So your loyalty, the revelation that you have of the people that are leading you is the one that will assist you to go far or to stay where you are. And unfortunately, in our cultural context, you know, I look at um, Botswana. You know, they will never speak about their president and say, eh, they will not just say masisi. Ne? They will say your excellency re masisi. Ne? Ronafa rareng. Zuma. Ramaposa. Hmm? We can even say muligi. Gabesh. It's the cultural context. It's the cultural setting. It conditions you to even forget. And when we say re masisi, it does not mean that... Uh, that's not his name. Of course, that's his name. But we are honoring also the office. And out of them comes an honor that even though there might be corruption, even though there might be, they do not lose themselves. They do not lose their values and identities to what the seed, to the person representing the seed, that if the seed requires me to honor, I will honor. But if Ntatemasisi does not do his job, I will not lose my value and my, my values. So even with us, there are values in the kingdom when it comes to the kind of leadership. There are values in the kingdom that we must sustain and uphold. So that even if Muruti falls, the goal here is Jesus. It's not Muruti. So even if he falters, it doesn't give me the name to call him Muligi tomorrow. Because he's still in that office. I still have to maintain that. And I'm saying these things, Banawamarena, because leadership is something that if you do not deal with your heart issues, when you get to the place of leadership, it will only amplify the things that you've carried all along in your heart. So if you carry dishonor, you will be a very disrespectful leader at the top. You will become that dishonorable person at the top. And leadership is a form of power. And what does power do? It exaggerates whatever is in the heart. That's why a person who doesn't give doesn't all of a sudden become a giver when money comes. No, actually what that money is going to do is amplify exactly what is in the heart. They will not even give at all because they have the money. And leadership is that form of power. So I'm saying these things to plant a seed where I think deeply about why you are here. It's been said, you know, and for many reasons. But I say this from a place of saying that it's a conversation that you need to have with God. Because the moment you answer to that call, there are certain things in the kingdom of God that you're going to have to let go in order to rise to the call of leadership. And sometimes those things are very painful. I think I sat there with a little bit of tears in my eyes because I happen to have been a witness to the journey that Papa has traveled, you know, right throughout. And 
I can attest to places where, you know, he has led when no one was watching. There was a time where, one story, there was a time where we had a cousin of ours who had a stroke and he was in a hospital and he was, he was my age and he's passed, he's passed now. And we went to go and see him at the hospital. And then he asked, or oh, he's communicated that, because and then, and he's a man, his dignity, and so forth. So it was like, you'll come with me, and then uh, I'll do the work, and so forth. And you know, in my head, it's like, okay, we're just going to watch him. He's, you know, he's, he can talk, he can communicate, so he's not that he's bedridden. It, he could do some things. But I can't tell you, I nothing prepared me for what I saw in that moment. When Papa was cutting his hair, and then they were cutting his hair, um, there were scabs falling off. And at that time, you're with a person who's not aware of what it looks like on his head. And Papa's there trying not to show him what he looks like, you know? So he's just continuing to talking, today, you know, and cutting his hair, and I'm watching that uh, play out, and I'm, I'm, I'm seeing, I cannot hide my own facial expression because of what I see. And I'm like, okay, so cutting hair is very necessary and important. Washing your head is very important and necessary because of what I saw. But I saw a man who became Ndlandla's friend and understood his desire for his dignity to look good, it didn't matter in what situation he was, and he just did it. And then after that, he went to wash him. And when he came back and when he told me about the bath water, I can't even imagine how the bath water was, but that's what he did. And fortunately, I've had parents who've done the same. I've seen my mom wash um, bedridden patients, and there are people from the church who did not have anybody to take care of them, could not afford a hospice. So she would make it her role to go and wash the patient when she has time and then come back. And the reason I tell you the story is not so much to cast the perfect image of servanthood and so forth, but to cast confidence in your heart that the issue of servanthood is not just a burden that is born out of what is a buzzword, but it's that it's their lives. And think deeply because the very same blessing that they are under, you will reap. But more so, the very same burden that they are under, you too will reap by virtue of submitting yourself into the ministry. When Papa was called into the ministry at his ordination at Abandoned Life, I'll never forget that word. They said, you are called back to bring back integrity to the body of Christ. Yeah? to bring back integrity to the body of Christ. So if there's anything when he stands before God and God says, well done, my good and faithful servant, it is that you have brought back integrity to the body of Christ. You, by virtue of saying, even if it's for a season, that I want to submit myself, two things you will be tested on. Will you bring back integrity to the body of Christ? Number one, your own integrity will be tested. It will not be tested specifically here. Remember that as an ambassador of Christ, you carry the name 
on campus, your integrity will be tested. So leadership, the type of leader you submit yourself under, you don't only inherit the blessing and the things that they can give, you inherit the challenges they will face to guard that vision as well. So what is the challenge of servanthood? What is the challenge of this type of leadership? It's self-righteous leadership. That's the biggest challenge you will face. Self-righteous leadership. A leadership that puts self first instead of others before themselves. So that's the thing that you should carry and have in mind. That by even if, like I said, even if it's for a season, by virtue of being in the house, submitted to the house, as much as you are receiving of the blessing, know that you will receive of the challenges that come to maintain and uphold the blessing as well. Even with your boss, whatever kind of leader you submit under, there are certain things that you will inherit that are great things, but you, it will also come with having inherited some of the challenges that come with that type of leadership. You know, submitting under Christ, Jesus says, uh, this world, you will have sorrow, meaning that if you are mine, you will have sorrow. He's not even advising you. He's not, you will have sorrow. But because, you know, have faith in me because I have overcome the world. So there's a promise, but at the same time, at the same time, there's a burden. So in every house, in every place that you find yourself in, whether Giko CRC or whether Giko Gaigai, you will find yourself, yes, under the promise, but also know that you will find yourself under the burden. And you know what the Bible says? Jesus says, burden is burden, guys. We are all carrying burdens. We are all going to carry burdens. He just says, my burden is light. My yoke is easy. My burden you will carry. Be sure about that. Ne? So let us understand that leadership is a call. Leadership is a burden. And in the body of Christ, leadership is defined as servanthood. I'm going to start by, um, let's read. I'm going to depend on you, Annelisa. Okay, who's at the back? <laughs> okay, all right. Okay. I'm going to depend on you at the back. We're going to read a couple of scriptures that are not in the notes. Um, we did compile a pamphlet for you, which will be shared electronically. And maybe we'll just make a few copies for you to take home. The pamphlet within itself has a lot more than what will be shared today. And remember that today it's really casting the vision uh, from the vision bearer, understanding the father's heart, and then understanding the type and style of leadership that the house has. I think a follow-up meeting that we will have to have is to unpack every department, you know, uh, the women's ministry, youth ministry, and so forth, because every ministry must have a function, and it must have a specific thing that it answers to. You know, youth ministry must be very practical. You are preparing people for life. You must give them tools. So we need to unpack that for you to understand. So this meeting, however, will not cover that. But what we will be covering are the basic foundational issues of leadership and outlining the different types of leadership so you can understand what leadership, what leadership is here to us as CSCC. Amen? So 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3. Um, we're going to read 3 to 10. 
But there is one thing I want you to know. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is man. The head of Christ is God. Uh, Paul here is revealing a dimension of spiritual leadership in the body of Christ. And you know, when you understand the issue of spiritual leadership, you must understand that God is the God of order. He's not necessarily a God of position. He's a God of order. The reason why certain positions exist is so that order can be maintained. The reason why the Godhead, it is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it's not about, you know, who's higher and so forth, is that order can be maintained in that, in, in that uh, cycle. Amen? So here, Paul is saying, but I want you to know and realize that Christ is the head of every man. The head of every woman is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Here, Paul is speaking about three different umbrellas that exist. And ladies, we're not going to go into the head of every man is the husband and so forth. It's a technical issue, but it's a kingdom issue. <laughs> it's, it's a kingdom issue. And I say this because it needs you to have that revelation. So I want you to think about headship, not so much leadership. Uh, change the word there, the head to headship, the headship, okay? The headship uh, of every man is Christ. The headship of every woman is a husband. Other versions said is her man. So sometimes men can differ. The husband, the wife, the, the woman, when she's not married, there's a father. If she's serving under a ministry and unmarried, there's a spiritual father, you know, and there's a reason why. And then the head of Christ is God. And Paul is the same one who says, follow me as I follow Christ. So meaning that even he is under authority. So you can only follow a man who he himself is under authority. Amen. So spiritual leadership in the body of Christ starts with us submitting to Christ. And unfortunately, you know, the difficult thing with the issue of the woman, you're the only one who has a covering that is seen. <laughs> Christ, the man doesn't see Christ, you know. So they have to, it's actually harder to follow what you don't see. So as much as it may look like a disadvantage, uh, I see my husband is there. You know, there are certain things that can be done because of this realm. I see him. So, but here, um, the head of every man is not seen. It is Christ. And it's the head of the, and then Christ who, and if you want to learn how to be a man who walks with headship that you do not see, read John chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 you will see how Christ related with his father. He even had the confidence to say that if you have seen me, you have seen the father. Yet, the father was not seen. But it is Paul having the same confidence that Jesus had, that Jesus had to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Meaning that every time you see advancement in my life, every time you see some, some gain, some form of gain, it means I'm in alignment with Christ. So there's no way of being in leadership without being under authority yourself. That's the principle I'm trying to drive at you. At Psalms, uh, Psalms 133 verse 2. Psalms uh, 
It is like the precious ointment poured on the head that run down on the beard, even the beard of Aaron, the first high priest that came down upon the collar and upon the collar and the skirts of his garment, considering the whole body. Um, so this version is a little bit different, but we all know the scripture. It speaks about the oil or the anointing that comes on the head of Aaron that comes to the beard and then it flows down to the rest of the garment. It is speaking about um, headship, leadership, and then membership. Amen. So even Paul, it's exactly the same thing. When Paul is speaking about headship, he starts with Christ and then he speaks about the man and then it must fall down. So how the anointing flows in the house of God will start with Papa, how he's able to receive that and will start, can we as leaders under him receive it and then the rest of the members will then receive it. Do you understand the order of God? It is first headship, it is leadership, and then it is the membership. So you as leaders are the ones who are setting the tone when it comes to the spiritual leadership, if the membership will benefit from the headship or not. Baba is the one who is setting the tone if we as leaders will benefit from the headship of Christ or not. Can you see that responsibility? And that order that God wants to achieve. So here, the principle is that it is impossible to lead without you being under authority. Because leadership is a place of authority. Amen? So that's what I would like, I wanted us to understand. That in the body of Christ, there is a way or there is a system and an order that God has placed. And the order starts with God and it's, it's Christ and then it's the person that leads us and then it's the leaders themselves and then the membership of the church. Amen. So can you see that your responsibility does not, you are not exempted from the responsibility of influence or decision making even in your own personal capacity. As a leader, you are, you are on display, whether you know it or not. There are some people who will never read the Bible, but will read your life. And they, when in, with your life, will then devote their lives to Christ. So as a leader, when Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ, is that there are people who have never witnessed Christ, but because they have seen Paul, they have also then been witnesses of Christ. So you, as a CSCC member, Follow as you as follow Papa as he follows Christ. And if people see you and they speak about CSCC, can they see Papa in you? Because as long as he is following Christ, there's a Christ that must be released in your life. As long as you are following him, there's a him that must be released in your life. And this is not to glorify men, but this is the blueprint of leadership. When Jesus saw his disciples for the last time, the Bible says that he came unto them and said, peace be unto you. I sent you as the father sent me. And what did he do? He breathed upon them. I think there was a time that Baba ministered about that. He breathed upon them, meaning that God did the same thing. 
when Christ was sent to the earth, the Bible says, oh, let me say, God breathed upon Christ. And that's why we were able to see Christ when he was here on earth. We were able to see the Father through Christ when he was here on earth. And when he sends his disciples, who did we see in his disciples? Christ. So even with us, leadership is a spirit. Bottom line, leadership is a spirit. And no matter how much people are talented, if they do not carry your spirit, they are not yours. When it comes to leadership, in the Bible when Moses had to choose men, 70 men, the Bible says that he was advised by his father-in-law. It says, choose men who carry the same spirit. Even when they came into the place of leadership, it was Moses' spirit that was distributed among the leaders. Not just leadership per se. They carried the burden, but how leadership was to be displayed, it was the spirit of Moses that was upon them. And I'm saying this because sometimes we come into places and we have our own ideas of what leadership is going to be. And you have this democratic idea because you studied Obama and you like his leadership style and you think in the kingdom is going to be the same way. No, it's not going to be the same way. The spirit of leadership is the man who is leading is the same spirit and burden upon you now. You know, yesterday... At work, um, my chairman called me and he called me talking about moving me into another department and he was, I think he was just checking how do I feel about it and he said a number of things and all I said was that I even sent my, my, um, my line manager a message, uh, my COO, I sent him a message, Karanta Dirodni. Uh, Aleph called me and said this and this and this and this. Please, I do not want to be moved outside, and outside of your leadership. Even if I am moved to another department, I want to report to you. And that's because I have such a good boss. I'm experiencing impartation. Even when it comes to the things of God, maybe because he's also a man of God, he's able then to encourage me in certain things. But there's an understanding that I receive from him that extends to my whole life, not just my, my work life. You know, but all I could think about is like, God, I cannot be under somebody else's leadership, please. I've been under Egyptian taskmasters for the first time. I'm in a place <laughs> where I am thriving, you know. But what I thought about was leadership. And having had experience, nothing makes up for bad leadership. No matter how good manager, how good of a manager you are, if you are being led in a bad way, you can package it, but it will never look. Nothing makes up for bad leadership. So when it comes to leadership in the body of Christ, we cannot fail. But we don't need to be creative. Paul gives us a pattern here. The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is the man. And the head of Christ is God. Amen? So let that settle in our hearts. That as we are speaking about leadership, let that order settle in your heart. That's what we are speaking about here. And not there are many other forms of leadership. Autocratic leadership, uh, democratic leadership. And we'll, I'll read through some of those um, definitions so that you are able to contrast and understand them. 
But when we are speaking about leadership within CSCC, when we are speaking about leadership within the body of Christ as we understand it, remember that there are places where you go, churches where you go, and what is leading is the spirit of the man and not really the spirit of Christ. So it does not mean that that is not, that unrighteous leadership does not exist in the body of Christ. It exists. It exists because when men promote their agendas and not Christ, we find ourselves then, you know, doing things that are not of God. And the truth is, I said this to you on Wednesday at prayer. If we do well as ministers of the gospel, if we do well, when we finish here, you will remember Christ and not us. The thing that you must remember that must stay with you is the gospel of Jesus Christ and not so much the man. It's okay to be forgettable. You want to even be forgettable when it comes to the cause of the kingdom. But have you represented Christ at the end of the day? Amen? So that was just the first part to speak about, um, about the issue of uh, spiritual leadership. Let's understand that order very well and know what order we are speaking about when it comes to leadership. And the battle for spiritual leadership or spiritual covering, it's real, Banaba Moren. And maybe let me make a case why you all need spiritual covering. Maybe let me not say spiritual leadership, but spiritual headship. Ne? And I say this because, and I'm speaking to leaders, I'm speaking to potential leaders who will be called in different spheres and places, but who are not exempted from warfare. And the church has not really taught us what warfare is and how to fight warfare. We, we have an understanding in a certain way, but have also lacked knowledge in a certain way as well, which has made us vulnerable to the enemy. In Exodus 17 verse 12, we don't have to read it, but in Exodus 17 verse 12, that's when um, Israel is fighting the spirit of... Um, it's the spirit of Amalek, or is fighting Amalek as a nation. When they fight Amalek as a nation, that is the first time in the Bible where you, they speak about spiritual warfare. When they're speaking there about spiritual warfare, why we call this more of a spiritual warfare than a physical battle, is that every time the hands of Moses went down, they did not win the battle. But every time the hands of Moses were lifted, they won the battle. No matter what skill on the battlefield Joshua had, he needed spiritual covering to win that battle. And the enemy, the first time he wants to attack you, any form of warfare, he will first check your spiritual covering. There are certain places where the enemy has access to you because you have no spiritual covering. When he's to check your alignment, you are not under authority. It doesn't mean that I agree with my leaders. It doesn't mean that I honor them. It doesn't mean that I agree. It just means that I honor the leadership that God has put there. And when it, it comes for time for spiritual battle, you know the enemy, when it says that uh, he's using the same tricks that he's always used, it doesn't mean that he, he, there are certain things that if they are not in place, he already knows that he's won the battle. So when it comes to spiritual covering, 
you cannot say to yourself you cannot want to be in a person or you want to be a person of authority or want to lead others without being led yourself and then where you are being led you know i was speaking to mbongene about this and i was speaking about how honoring his boss is something that can release spiritual power in his own life and we don't see it that way. We don't see that actually the people that God has put before us, whether it's in student leadership, whether it's at work, or whether it's here at church, are actually places of alignment that position us for rank in the spirit. We see it as like subordination. We see it as somebody or whatever it is. Actually, that's how men rise in the spirit. That's how you gain rank. So there are certain places that if you are not covered in a certain way, you're already vulnerable in battle, no matter what great skill that you may have. So spiritual alignment is something that benefits you in your, in your entire life. Even if you leave this church, even if you leave this church, I urge you, be planted somewhere. Have a spiritual authority you account to for Dilwitz Abu Pil. Have somebody who can call you out. Have somebody who can correct you with love. Have somebody who can stand before God on your behalf. Moses, all he had to do was lift up his hands and Israel was winning. And you know what he was? The father of the nation. His authority was that. And that's what the enemy does. Sometimes the attacks that come upon Muruti as your spiritual covering, as, as your spiritual covering is on account of you. Because the enemy wants you. For as long as you are covered in a certain way, there's no way he has access to you. But if you move out of alignment, if you move outside of that authority, you are vulnerable. In the book of Chronicles, there's a time when Israel wanted to go to war and they went to the prophet and they asked the prophet, should we go to war? God's word to the prophet, to King Asa, said, tell them, he said to tell King Asa that I am with him as long as he is with me. That was what God said. Meaning that if I am on the floor and King Asa is on the floor, I am with him in the battle. But if I am on the floor and King Asa is on the ceiling, he's not with me. So that's when. So God did not have to say, yes, I am with you or not. He just said, Asa, you check your position. If you are where I am, it means I am with you. If you are not where I am, it means I am not with you. As a leader, check your position. Are you where Christ is? Are you where the church is? Are you where God has planted you? Is your heart for those who are leading you where it should be? Because if you are there, then you are covered. But if you find yourself out of those boundaries, then you are not covered. Amen? So that's the, uh, the, an advantage of spiritual covering. Though it may come with its challenges, I just wanted to state that. We are now going to get into the document and we're going to speak about servant leadership.
I'm going to first define leadership according to the Oxford Dictionary. I think it's important that we align with language. Remember that dictionaries changed because language changed. So we're going to define it and then we're going to get to the biblical definition as well. The Oxford uh, English Dictionary defines leadership as the person who leads or commands a group, organization or a country, the leader, um, example, the leader of a protest group or a natural leader. And then the Webster Dictionary says the power or ability to lead others. And then another definition by Mark Little, it says, a leader is someone who leads by example and has the integrity to do the right thing even when it's not popular. A good leader, um, a good leader has positive influence over others, inspiring them to become better, a better person, an example for others to model their lives against as well. And then Lisa Lash Hansen says, leadership is the ability to guide others without force into a direction or decision that leaves them still feeling empowered and accomplished. The last one says, leadership trait, um, no. So the question is, are leaders born or made in the kingdom of God? It's a question that I'm asking, are leaders born or they are made? Yeah. It's not a question I'm going to answer. It's just a question I'm going to throw out there. And I tend to agree with what Daisy's saying, both. Because there are men who God had assigned something to and they refused that, but God empowered others who were not necessarily called for the vision, but for his purposes to advance, they were empowered to then fill in the gap. So in that way, you could say that one was made. The other one was born for it, but rejected the call. You know, there was um, this one woman that I know, she was saying her story. She was a medical doctor, married to another medical doctor, married into a family of medical doctors who had built hospitals and had made billions doing that with healthcare. And then when they divorced, uh, you know, the ladies just said, I don't actually want anything. I just want to be able to practice in one specific hospital. And the husband says, I actually want to give you everything. And, you know, she was perplexed because uh, cases like that, it's, you know, everybody fights for half, half and so forth. So she was ready just for the little because she came in as somebody who studied medicine and then joined the family, but not necessarily uh, being built, helped build the family, build what they had. And, you know, when the husband gave her everything and the family said, why? Why are you giving her everything? Why is she, um, why, why? Because does she deserve it? You know, she's not part of the family. And remember that he was the sole inheritor of the previous uh, predecessors that came before him. And then he said, I was born into this thing. She was born for it. So let me make way for her. So he was born into it but not necessarily called for it. It's like being a king, uh, knowing that you are, you are called to be king, but there's no call within you that says, this is for me. And then you recognize a David. This is what I believe happened between David and Jonathan. That relationship, when they cast their friendship, there was a transference of a son born into kingship, but a recognition that this one was born for it. And what then happened? 
there was a transfer that then took place. So it's possible to be born into something, and perhaps one could say, I was born in the church, I was bound to serve in the church, and so forth, so I became what I became because of virtue of being born into the church. Perhaps it's a theory, but another thing is that perhaps I was made by the circumstances and having been seen that maybe she's called for this, and that's how then I was groomed for the church. So are leaders in the house of God born or made? Um, I believe God can do both for his purposes to advance. Amen. We're going to speak about the different types of leaderships before we get to the definition of um, servant leadership. First type of leadership, autocratic leadership. This type of leadership says, do as I say, ask no questions. Uh, which leader can we associate with this type of leadership? Hitler. African leaders. Yes. Democratic leadership. Do as I do. I'm not sure. I will not ask. <laughs> Laissez is fair leadership, do as you choose. There's that type of leadership. I'm leading people, but do you do your own thing. Strategic leadership style, follow my plan. Strategic leadership style, follow my plan. Transformational leadership, this needs to change. It's about that. This needs to change. Team leadership, only this team counts. So these are the philosophies and the ideas that govern this, this type of style of leadership. And then um, facilitative leadership, results-driven process. It's all about the results. And remember, Morena, results, even the enemy knows how to give results. Ne? So in the church, we cannot be results-driven. We need to be spirit-driven. And sometimes righteousness takes a while for the results to come, but they do come eventually. So we cannot be results focused to say that man produces results. Yes, but by what spirit and by what power and at what cost? No? Uh, transactional, okay. Uh, cross-cultural leadership to effectively lead and inspire people across cultures. Transactional leadership, promote compliance by followers through reward and punishment. Coaching leadership, helping others to advance their skill and provide a, long, uh, uh, provide a lot of guidance. Uh, charismatic leadership, use their personality to conjure up enthusiasm in the followers. You know, there was a book written by Jim Collins, and he speaks about level five leadership. And he says that the most, the best leaders, and he did, he studied companies and organizations, including churches, for over 500 years, established companies, not Apple, ne? Apple has been existing for less than 50 years, that's not establishment. So he said, <laughs> establishment is at a certain time. Tomorrow is my parents' 40th anniversary. <laughs> 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 ne? 
40 years is establishment in the Jewish culture there are certain things you are not allowed to say until you are 40 I'm not allowed to teach on the book of Proverbs until I am 40 because there's a certain type of life experience I do not have they have a marriage that is 40 not a, that is older than a human being so meaning that it carries the maturity of a 30 year old you know so um so 40 lead and what was i saying i lost my chain of thought hmm? yes jim collins so he was speaking about establishment and he was speaking about leadership and he was speaking as he was researching uh, companies that were leaders actually the best companies that actually make it do not have the most charismatic leaders meaning that they're not jovial people they're not people's people that people can come to they are not no they're actually the people who know how to um, just have people who know how to lead people to the message the vision and not themselves that's the thing and that's what is Jesus's greatest strength that's why Jesus never needed Facebook that's why he never needed a LinkedIn account because he had a message it didn't matter who he was his face didn't matter it mattered that you hear the message so the best kind of leaders are the leaders that take you towards the message and not necessarily draw you to themselves and in Africa I think the leader that they identified as that was Thomas Sangara that he was a level five leader not even Madiba, he was level four. So, you know, level five leadership is Jesus style leadership. That's all they needed to say. Uh, visionary leadership, leader, leader inspiring followers to move together towards a shared vision. So now let's define the type of leadership that we say, or rather this type of leadership style that we say we subscribe to. Servant leadership seeks to move management and personal interaction away from controlling activities and towards more a syn a synergetic relationship between parties. The term servant leadership was coined by Robert Greenleaf in the tw a 20th century researcher. A servant leader is a person who focuses on enriching the lives of individuals and improving the organization and the community that they serve. Focuses on enriching the lives of individuals. When Papa read the definition of what we do and what we stand for in a community, what did he say? He spoke about us being a serving community. So in our leadership style, the focus must be to enrich the lives of the individuals and improving the organization and communities that we serve. They have the ability to heal communities with their inclusive vision and bravery. So your strengths as a servant leader are actually to heal. Your strengths as a servant leader are for inclusivity. Your strength and your bravery as a, as a servant leader, are to, it's for all. I remember uh, one of my lecturers saying that, you know, when we study theology, first year, you find 100 students in class. Second year, you're going to find 50. Third year, you're going to find 30 who are graduating. And it's because in the beginning, theology is about tatagongi. 
we can't even, you know, we can't say no to anyone because we must have grace upon people. So if that faculty said no to you, we must take you, you know, because for most people, theology is a bridge, right? You find very few people that are actually studying theology for theology, unless you are sent by the Enchia Church and, you know, you have a definite call and you have a resolve. But most people, it's a bridge. I'm going to humanities when I finish here, you know, or I'm going to EMS when I finish here, you know. So even with the church, um, we take all. And unfortunately, that's a burden and a responsibility that our type of leadership must include all. You know, everybody must come and find healing. Our type of leadership must come and bring healing. So we don't expect whole people to come to the church. We actually embrace brokenness here. And we embrace it because this should be the place of healing. So seven type of leadership, uh, seven, uh, um, seven leadership is not afraid of brokenness. Is not afraid of brokenness. Amen. They have the abilities to, okay, I read that. The seventh leader is a different style of leadership, not new, but not used as much. Yeah? Organizations are starting to catch up with this because you find a lot of seminars, a lot of um, TED Talks now. You're finding a lot of um, Lead Like Jesus. There's a campaign movement called Lead Like Jesus. And this movement, I'm not sure if they are Christians or not, but all they are doing is dissecting great and visionary leaders. And they got to the place that no one like was like Jesus because no army on earth has done what Jesus did. No navy on earth has done what Jesus did. No country king or queen has done what Jesus did until to this day Jesus is still leading you know so this is a movement that as I say is not necessarily a Christian movement but all they are doing is drawing the principles of Jesus's type of leadership and applying it and saying that if you lead like this these are the results that you are guaranteed to have and at the church we are fighting amongst ourselves not understanding that we don't have to be creative. God has given us a blueprint and a pattern through Christ. Amen. The key difference, the leader serve. The leader serves the needs of the followers rather than being served. So the key difference in this church is that Muruti Walona will serve you more than you will serve him. So if you are in a place of leadership, you will serve your followers more than you are being served. That is the key thing. And we see this with Jesus when he washed his disciples' feet. That was the epitome of showing what servant leadership is. And I mean, I love John 13 now and I embrace it so much. Knowing that his time had come. Knowing that Judas was the one who was going to betray him. Knowing that God had given him all things and put all things under his feet. Knowing all of that, he still washed their feet. So as a leader, are you able to know all of those things and still stand in your position of leadership as a servant leader as Christ did? Meaning that knowing that Gail is going to betray me. Knowing that Gail is going to be the one to sell us out. Gail, it's just an example. <laughs> you know, and I'm saying this in the sense that sometimes what happens is that even when God reveals certain things, leadership is shown by your heart not changing towards the person. 
your heart of love remaining the same. Do you know that Jesus never stopped loving Judas? Knowing that Peter is going to deny him, won't even be there, will run away, yet he still loved him. That's the type of leadership you're called into. The type of leadership that hopes for your perfect response and waits for your perfect response until that time comes. You know when the Bible, the Bible says in, in Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. That patience, when you read it in the, in the Greek, it's the God kind of patience, not your patience. Ne? Baba was preaching about it. What a patience are how it's like, I'm finished. Now get it. The God kind of patience, you know how it's, it's, it's being described in the Greek. It says it's the kind of patience that anticipates your perfect response to it. So meaning that every time I come to Chao, Chao, will you come to church with me? And Chao says, no, I say, it's okay. But I am patient enough to say, Chao, will you come back to church with me? Chao says, no, I say, it's okay. So it's a patient patience that pursues until Chao says yes. It never takes the no as an answer because it anticipates the perfect response to the situation. So when they say that love is patient, it means that it will wait for the perfect response. So even within leadership, serving is something that you will do within this type of style of leadership. It's the type of thing that you will do more than it is being done to you. And I say this because in the body of Christ, we have this. We don't see it when our minds shift from serving to wanting to be served. From being leaders or servants to being positional. To assuming position more than actually the place of service. And unfortunately... When you watch the leaders, when you see the leaders in the body of Christ or the apostles, you know, Paul never fought with anybody to wanting to be a certain thing. You know, the, the apostles were never special men of God. They got it into places as nobody. They changed the place and they left for Christ. We, we are waiting even revival, because of special men of God. Ne? Leadership. Servant leadership is about serving the people. So the apostles, if you study them, they never got to places as known men. When they were sent to places, they were unknown men. They just brought the gospel. And after that, they left. So leadership that then seeks position and title, you must know when you get to that place, the day, that day, the chairman becomes more important than you've lost it. You've lost it. So as leaders, whether we are known or unknown, your position is not a factor. It is the quality of your service that will reveal your position. That is the kingdom type of servant leadership. Amen. I'm technologically challenged. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, good. 
So let's speak a little bit about the symbolism of washing the feet uh, of the disciples. The washing of the feet was a common practice upon entering the home. We all know that, na? that this was something that was really done. It was a cultural thing. It was a task for the servant or the slave. When Jesus assumed this role, the disciples were probably stunned by this act of humility. Jesus' basic motivation was love. When Jesus was washing the disciples' feet, his motivation was love. What drives you to serve the people around you? That's the question I may ask. What drives you to occupy that place of leadership that God has allowed you to occupy? Sometimes you may say gifting or calling. Yes, you may have the gift of calling and calling, but gift can only take you so far. And there's a place where the gift ends. And now it must be driven by love. That vision must be driven by love for God. Amen? He voluntarily became their servant. He set an example of servant leadership. So in the body of Christ, God never calls us to something that he himself has not done. We know that Jesus was fully God and fully man. When Jesus was washing the, the disciples' feet, it was divinity washing man. It was the creator washing the created. So even when God calls you to that type of leadership, it is not because he himself has not done that. When Jesus in the book of John was being baptized by John, John said to him, I am not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus said, suffer it be so for now, because this is what needs to be done. Jesus in that moment, being fully God, being the creator, submitted to creation so that he in this realm, in rank, can, under, can rise to that order. Meaning that there are places where you are going to have to carry a gift that is greater than the man of God that you are serving, but you will have to submit that gift to him until God puts you in a place where that gift can shine. And the truth is, in the kingdom of God, you will never be greater than your master. You may do greater work, like Jesus said, greater work shall you do. Every father must want their children to go further than they did. But I will never be greater than Papa. Amen? So in the kingdom of God, even in places where you recognize that you are better, you still have to submit because that's the order of rank in our kingdom. Amen? So Jesus himself took the example of a servant and he showed us how it's done. Examples of leaders, of servant leaders. As I said, Jesus is our servant leader. The example that we are going to, that we have been studying and we draw from in this dispensation, in this time. In the Bible, when you read about servant leadership in the Old Testament, there were servant leaders. David was one of them. The Bible says that um, in the cave of Adullam, there were how many men that came to him as broken and battered men and they became the mighty men of David when they were done. That's what a leader does. He transforms men to be like them. So you do find servant leaders in the Bible, in the Old Testament. But the greatest example that we see is Jesus. Amen. Martin Luther King, Mother Teresa, the Dalai Lama, other leaders, Thomas Sankara, um, Mahatma, Mahatma Gandhi, and our very own 
Dr. Nelson Mandela. Now, I want to say this to you is that leadership is a spirit that contains principles. So just because Dalai Lama is a Buddhist, it doesn't mean that he's not tapped into the principle. Mudimu is a god of principles. Whether you are a believer or not, if you're exercising the principle of giving, you will reap what you sow. Amen? So you do find leaders, and I'm saying this, that we do not neglect to see great leaders around us because they, are, they don't share the same faith with us. The Bible says that wisdom is the mother of all invention. That's the Bible. And wisdom comes from God. So if you are able to recognize wisdom in a Muslim leader, it doesn't mean that you are honoring the Islam or you are honoring Allah, but you are able to recognize the gift of wisdom, the gift of God, because the truth is they too are made in the image of God. So sometimes the starting point of recognizing leadership and honoring leadership starts by seeing the man as being created and made in the image of God. And then you are able to see that wisdom. And I'm saying this because we have a lot of Christians who, because people are not Christians, are unable to do certain things with other people. You find a lot of people who do business as Christians and as Muslims. And Muslims like to do business with people of integrity. So they want you to articulate your faith. They are not going to try and convert you, but they want to know that if you are a true follower of Christ, there are certain things that you won't do, even if it's not in the contract. So the spirit of leadership knows how to recognize leadership. That's why the Nobel Peace Prize. How many people have won the Nobel Peace Prize who come from different faiths? Because leadership is a spirit that demands a sort of, a certain type of recognition. So how can we lead like Jesus? That is the last thing that we are going to... Um, oh, before we go into this, can we read Mark chapter 10? I'll be 10 minutes and then we're going to watch a video. And then after the video, we're going to have some time for uh, reflection. And there was a question that were asked, why were you here? That's a question you're going to have to answer for yourself. And what is my place in here? If you have the revelation of that, you're going to write it down during the time of reflection. I just want us to read Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 45. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 to 45. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, saying, he, Him is Christ. Teacher, we want to do, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Bad like agenda. Go Jesus. And he said to them, what do you want me? What do you want me to do for you? You know, every time you ask, uh, when Jesus asks, "What do you want?" you must know that He's asking, "What is your deepest desire?" Even with the disciples, when John, uh, I think it was Pete, it was John, when uh, they wanted to follow Him, they they when they were following Him uh, after the catch, the big catch that they had, Jesus said to them, "What do you want?" That's the first question. In the book of John, Jesus asks questions. Just go and study the questions that Jesus asks. What do you want is a big question. 
if I ask you how, what do you want right now? Do you know that you don't fully know what you want? And if the Holy Spirit was to be able to answer you fully now, are you sure that that is really what you want? You know? So Jesus is saying to them, so what is it that you want? He doesn't assume that he knows, even him being fully God. He waits for you to reveal what is in your own heart because he knows. What is in your own heart? They said to him, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left in your glory. So what these people are sure of is that there's glory with Christ, that there's glory with Jesus. But what we want is to be here. Nah, I want to be here among and never. Ne? Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Ne? That's why if I say to you how, what do you want? You may think you know what you want. And you may think you know what you, you, know, what you are saying. But Jesus is saying to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink? and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Next verse. They said to him, we are able. Hmm? We are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I will drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. Jesus said, this was Jesus' response to them. And maybe let me give you, a, uh, um, one of the sons of Zebedee there was John the Revelator in the Bible. Everything, everybody knows how John suffered. Ne? He was even boiled in a pot of oil. He didn't die. And then he was John the Revelator in the book of Revelations that reveals Christ. So when Jesus said to him, indeed you will drink of my cup and you will be baptized, he became exactly that. It says, but sit on my right hand and on my left is, is not mine to give, but it is for those who he, whom he is, whom is, it is prepared. And when the ten heard, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. You know how James died? He was martyred. So everything that Jesus said to him, he drank of that cup. I told you what then became of John. So when they were asking for positions of leadership, when they were asking for glory, they didn't understand. And they said, we know, ne? naively saying that. But if you read the story of John and everything that happened to him, to drink the cup that he drank, to be baptized in the same baptism, for him to become the John Revelator in the Re in the book of Revelations, who reveals the Son, the you know the Lamb that was seated on the throne of God. All of those things they came by suffering. But Jesus called them to Himself and said to them, "You know that those who are considered rulers over Gentiles, over the Gentiles, lord it over them." And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever desires to be first shall be the slave, shall be slave of all. So when those two, James and John, asked Jesus to be in glory, there were the other disciples who saw that. 
And the Bible says, so that John was not the John who wrote the Synoptic Gospels, John. It was John the Revelator. And when he asked that, and Jesus said, you don't know what you are asking. As I said, he said, they said, we know. And what then followed after that? So if you say that you want to be president, do you know what you are asking for? If you say, I want to be CEO of a multinational, do you know what you are asking for? If you say, and I'm speaking about positions of leadership, if you say I want to be, uh, and I'm speaking about these leadership uh, positions that we glorify, ne? all they wanted to be was like Jesus. Why? Because they were assured of glory. The Bible says that because they know who he was going to be in glory. And Jesus, in his loving kindness and mercy, said, are you able to drink of the cup that I, drew, that I will drink from? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism that I will be baptized with? And they said, yes, we are. And that is the question that I'm posing you to you today. Muruti has spoken about the church. He has spoken about what it took to build the church. And perhaps you will still hear the story as you get to know him, some of you personally and some of you collectively. Are you able to drink of the cup that he has drunk from? And are you able to be baptized with the baptism that he has been baptized with? Because then you will be assured of the glory that is upon his life. Amen. So as we commit today and we think of ourselves as leaders and say that we want to become leaders, not just in, you know, CSCC, but in the body of Christ and even in life in general or in the places that God has placed us, are we able to drink of the cup that we must and are we able to be baptized with the baptism that we must in order to achieve the same glory that those two were asking next to Christ that's a question I will leave with you and it's obviously a lifelong question this is a question that you answer in every state 